0: Doug, we've got a storied rivalry to kick us off in week three on the Amazon Prime Thursday night game. We've got the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Cleveland Browns, two teams that uh, after what they did in week two, they'll, they'll need some redemption this week, right? The Steelers lost to the Patriots. Uh, the Browns let the Jets of all teams score two touchdowns in the final two minutes for a comeback win in their home opener in front of their home crowd. Doug, what's the the one thing that each of these two teams need to do uh, to, to get that Sunday that they had in week two out of their minds?
1: Uh, I will say, Luke, before we get into this, and and hello and welcome to week three, is the Amazon Prime, the part of the broadcast, it's all 22 and next-gen stats live at the same time. Hello. Boy, I love that. Uh, In the case of the Steelers, I'll be looking at their run fronts. With Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, the Browns obviously are leading with their run game. Nick Chubb, one of the NFL's best backs, scored three rushing touchdowns against the Jets. He might have wanted to slow play that last one because that allowed the Jets to get back in. And Nick famously ran out of bounds against the Texans a couple years ago. So that might've been a miscommunication between coach and player. Uh, we all know how great Cam Hayward is, but with TJ Watt out, it's on edge rusher Alex Highsmith to get things done outside, which he can do three sacks in the opener. Uh, veteran Larry Joby and rookie DeMarvin Leal. And Leal's played more outside now with Watt out, but he's kind of doing both. They have to help Hayward keep things better uh, together on the inside. Cause like with Stefan Tewitt out last year, when Hayward was on the field, per Sports Info Solutions, Steelers give up 4.5 rushing yards per attempt. When Hayward was off, 5.5. That's how you lose ball games. So the Browns have the best NFL guard duo in Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller. They can waste you in the run game with everything from outside zone to old school power sweeps. And that, to me, is how this game's going to turn. Luke, what about you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll live in the trenches in this matchup too. You know, you look at the Steelers; they're going to have to lean on Najee Harris and maybe even Jalen Warren, a guy that I know both of us really liked in the in the pre-draft process, right? The the rookie out of Oklahoma State, you know. But it's going to be hard because that offensive line is not great. But they're going to need to step it up because the Steelers can't have this game in Mitch Trubisky's hands, right? They can't afford to have him in third and long situations, even without Devon Clowney, who might be out for this game. Miles Garrett, the rest of that defensive front, if they can pin their ears back on third and long and come after Mitch Trubisky, it's, it's just not going to be uh, a very nice night. Did uh, you see what Miles
1: Garrett, Garrett did to Icky Aquanu?
0: I did. I did. It was definitely a, a baptism, welcome to the NFL moment there.
1: That was icky indeed.
0: Uh, Moving from Thursday to Sunday, this past Sunday was an amazing day for comebacks, right? Uh, According to the Elias Sports Bureau, three teams with basically a zero win probability at some point in the game. The Dolphins, the Jets, the Cardinals somehow came back from massive deficits to win their games. And per ESPN stats and info, it's the first time in NFL history that multiple teams, talking about the Cardinals and the Dolphins, have overcome a 20-point halftime deficit on the same day, right? And I'll add that I think it's the first day since 2011 that we saw the Jags, the Jets and the Lions win in the same day, which is just fantastic. Yeah, uh, But getting back to those, those comebacks, which of those games do you think means the most to the team that won when you're, you're looking at the long run of this season?
1: I think it means the most for the Dolphins, and it isn't really close. The Jets and Cardinals are clearly spunky teams with a lot of faults they're trying to figure out. I love Kyler Murray's two-point conversion. It took literally 21 seconds and 85 yards. But what the Dolphins are able to achieve in their passing game, with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell on the field at the same time, has to be truly terrifying for any defense, as it was for the Ravens' defense last Sunday, as it was for the Patriots' defense in Week 1. When you can scald two of the more complex and multifaceted defenses in the NFL – we all, you know, we're all talking about the Ravens' coverage busts. The Dolphins create coverage busts. The uh, the first long touchdown to Hill, where he was the the vertical receiver on the front side, the ISO guy, uh, three to the back end. Kyle Hamilton's the middle safety. Everyone's like, everyone's you know getting after Kyle Hamilton. Well, why didn't you follow Hill with the vertical route? Because Waddle's running a deep over, and he's like, I, I it's cover three. I'm the only guy out here. I need to clone myself. So that combination, it's not just. A bunch of fast guys doing things, it's how they're deploying their personnel. Um, this is per PFF. Tua already has uh Tua Tag- Tagovailoa by law already has eight explosive passing plays this year. Last year he had like 14. I'm not exaggerating. Three of those have come out of 21 personnel. So Mike McDaniel, their new head coach, and by the way, to Peter King, he called the uh the first touchdown to hill the F hit play. It's a family show, so I'll look at that. But they're just, you know, they're in their cups right now. They have offensive line issues. The defense is up and down. But that passing game, I mean, whoever is facing them on defense, it's a lot of late nights. It's a lot of, you know, look back in your playbook 10 years ago to see how you dealt with, you know, or longer than 10 years ago to see how you dealt with Randy Moss because, yeah, these guys are for real.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd love to be contrarian here, but I I don't think I can. I, I think while those other teams can build some momentum off of those wins, I think the Dolphins might have something special here again. Tua, all the haters, all the the criticism about what he can't do at quarterback. I feel like all those people are really quiet after what he did uh, on Sunday. And like you said, they've got the fastest wide receiver duo in the league uh, in Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. Mike McDaniels, two and zero. He looks like he does. He doesn't look like a first year head coach, especially when uh, compared to somebody else that we're going to talk about here in just a second. Um, but you know, this team should have a ton of confidence. After a comeback like that, and especially doing it on the road against another AFC playoff contender, a potential division winner in Baltimore, uh, and what we've seen from that team, being able to hang your hat on a win like this moving forward and be 2-0 with all of these positives and all of these reasons to be excited for the future of this team, you know, if he was 0-2 and you were seeing some of this stuff, you could still excuse it. They're 2-0, and I think they're going to be a problem for a lot of people. I think, you know who
1: they face next week?
0: The Bills.
1: Mm. That's going to be fun.
0: I can't wait for that one. That's going to be fun. Let's go. Let's stay in the AFC. We talked about what a great job that the the Dolphins are doing with their new head coach and the play calling and the schemes. Let's talk about an AFC team that is struggling. They're not 2-0. They're 0-2 after winning the AFC last year. We've talked about Zach Taylor and some of his decision-making and and scheme on, on this show before and some of the struggles they've had. Uh, the Bengals are the first team in, in the Super Bowl era. So we're talking since 1966 to lose each of their first two games as time expired. The Joe Burrow, the new offensive line in front of Joe Burrow, right, was supposed to be upgraded and uh, all these additions they made in the offseason. It really doesn't look any better than the, the one that was really the reason why they didn't win the Super Bowl uh, against the Rams, right, and struggled really all season in that department. Is this just a case of new pieces needing time to get on the same page, or are we dealing with something a, a bit more ominous in Cincinnati here?
1: Well, I'd like to think that it's just a couple of fluke losses and, you know, your offensive line needs time to get together. We've seen that before. Um, I don't think it is. I think there's more going on here. And, you know, Zach Taylor's choices last year, we're going to put uh, P. Ryan in the, in the Super Bowl ahead of Joe Mixon. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, he and, and you know, Burrow saying during the game, no more empty, no more empty, no more empty sets. I need someone to help. And then, you know, they don't run empty and they still give up a sack. Um, the Cincinnati's defense, which was supposed to be better than this, they made Cooper Rush of the Cowboys and Dallas's no-name receiver group outside of C D Lamb look better than you'd like to see. Um, I'm not saying they're gonna circle the drain, but it's tough to see after an 0 and two start how they really transcend that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of tough to look at this team on paper and understand why they're 0-2, right? I mean, they've got so much talent on both sides of the ball. They've got a, a franchise quarterback that obviously can can lead them to victories, and they're supposed to have, again, this defense that's got playmakers at every level. And I think it all comes back to the coaching. I, I think it all starts at the top with Taylor. It seems like he's struggling to make adjustments away from what his team continues to prove to him. He, they cannot do well. Yep. and put them in position to what they do best, right? Or at least figure out what that is if you don't know yet, right? Try, to, try something else if this isn't working. You know, Burrow's obviously feeling the pressure. Again, he's creating, I think, as many sacks as the offensive line is now just because that's yes. now a self-fulfilling prophecy, right, where you're yes. not con- convinced you can be protected, so you start looking down instead of looking upfield and create some of those problems on your own. We're about but, to talk
1: about another quarterback who's had that problem for years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, th- like you said, the defense isn't isn't the unit we saw in the playoffs last year either. But again, it starts with coaching. They he, Zach Taylor has got to set the tone for the rest of his team and inspire confidence that he knows what he's doing. And honestly, through two weeks, it, it doesn't look like he does. Uh, and I don't think the Bengals are going anywhere anytime soon and, until he figures that out. Well,
1: we just talked about Mike McDaniel having Hill and Waddle. Um zach taylor has you know jamar chase and t higgins and tyler boyd in the slot one of the more underrated slot receivers in the nfl yep you gonna tell me that zach taylor would do with hill and waddle what mcdaniel is doing or that mcdaniel would do even better with the bengals receivers were he in charge of them hmm
0: yeah i don't know doug listen to, to wrap up this week you know speaking of offenses that are in free fall right now and i alluded to this earlier Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson. I, I mean, they look they look like anything uh, but the team that uh, in our touchdown wire predictions this year I was all over right. I had uh, I had Russell Wilson for MVP. I had Hackett for Coach of the Year because they're going to go from worst to first in the AFC West after two weeks. I look pretty stupid with that pick, and and it has a lot to do with how terrible this offense has been. They've been awful in the red zone, penalties all over the place, and Wilson's home game, first home game in Denver after all that offseason and all the jerseys and oh yeah, franchise quarterback, the big contract. We traded all these picks. He gets booed. That offense gets booed at home in their home opener uh, after all that excitement. The crowd counting down the game clock to help the team out because of the delay of game penalties. Man, that's got to be embarrassing. We really have to ask the same question here. Is this more about everyone in that offense learning how to work together with a new coach and a new quarterback? Or is there something more afoot in Denver?
1: Yeah, poor Wilson. He comes back to Seattle, gets booed in week one, and then goes home to Denver and gets booed in week two. He's like, I, I can't win here. Maybe I need to go to Las Vegas and get booed by Raider fans and feel better. Um, I think the Broncos have a larger issue in their passing game. That's a head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, all due respect, he's, he's in over his head. He either needs a situational expert voice or he needs to hand off the offensive play calling responsibilities to somebody else so he can deal with, you know, they can't even get punts and kickoffs right. He's doing too much, which means he's not doing anything well enough. We really don't even know whether Hackett has the ability to be a good head coach right now because he's laden with all these responsibilities, crucial responsibilities upon which game-changing decisions are made, and very few coaches can make that work. We need to see how that plays out before we can have any idea of what the Broncos look like on the field because right now you know, the, the problem starts above the neck, and it's not looking good.
0: Yeah. Listen, you know, you know me, I'm in the Tampa area and and hearing from Todd Bowles, who is getting his second chance at being a head coach. And anytime he's been asked to this off season about what he learned during his first tenure as a head coach with the New York Jets was the ability to delegate. And that's something Jason Light, the general manager in Tampa Bay, has talked about about earlier in his time as the GM, when they struggled in Tampa Bay, how much he learned about how to surround yourself with other coaches, other personnel people that know what they're doing and allow those people to do their jobs well. So it frees you up as kind of the, the person at the top of that, that flow chart to do the things that only you can do and do them do those things well. And I think that's the issue here in in Denver, right? Is that Hackett is is needing to learn what Todd Bowles learned after he was fired in New York, right? Which is that listen, I can't put all of these things on myself, especially as a first-year head coach and expect us to be successful. He has got to see who else on his staff can handle certain responsibilities and free him up to have the mental capacity even on game day to make, like you said, those critical situational decisions that are the difference between winning and losing games. I'm not
1: bashing Hackett. It's a lot. It's just a lot for anybody.
0: It's a lot for anybody, uh, but that's all for us for this week, Doug. This episode of four down territory is in the books. We thank you guys so much for joining us again. For Doug Ferrar, I'm Luke Easterling, and we will see you next week. Enjoy week three, everyone.